everyone. Welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. Today, we are talking about military veterans in the ServiceNow ecosystem. This topic is near and dear to my heart, as I am the son of Captain Boris Fedoric, Canadian Armed Forces, retired. We've got two special guests for you today, one of which you may know due to his involvement in veterans advocacy, loud and proud on LinkedIn, and the other one we're very happy to introduce you to. Ladies and gentlemen, pleased to introduce you to Samuel Sussman and Brian Wyckoff. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thanks for the invite, guys. Thank you so much for having me, Duke. Sam, why don't you start us off with an intro and then we'll uh, proceed to Brian. Absolutely. My name is Sam Sussman. I'm over at Glidefast Consulting and Faircode. I'm the Veteran Engagement Manager and Technical Consultant over there, mostly in the ITOM asset management realm. My favorite spot is more than obvious is the CMDB. That's where I started in this platform and that's where I love to live. Hey, uh, Brian Wyckoff, seven more days and I'll be uh, out of the Navy, 21 years of that. The last six months though, I've spent with ServiceNow as part of their next gen program, doing an internship, learning the basics about uh, ServiceNow and the whole platform. And Sam, you come from a military background as well, right? Absolutely. So I am a U.S. Navy veteran as well. I got out Cinco de Mayo 2017. And well, thank uh, you both for your service. Thank you guys. Thank you. Okay, we're going to talk about the the next gen program that was just mentioned uh, a little bit later in the show. But for now, we kind of want to talk about what it's like to transition from the military and just modes of thought and ways of approaching work. I, I think where I'd like to start, I mean, one of the things that I've always wondered, right, when I, when I run across folks who have been in the military, and I ha- have a few family members who've been in the military as well, is that how does that military experience, like the, the, all the experience you've gained in your career, help you once you get to the private sector? And specifically in this case, you know, how does your military experience and career help benefit you once you're uh, entering the, in the ServiceNow realm? I'll go and tackle that one, Corey. I think that one was targeted towards me. Uh, So my background in the Navy started with what's called undesignated seamen. I worked directly for one of the most labor-intensive divisions on the ship. I was with the deck department. So my job was to bust rust, stand aft, lookout watch, and also drive the ship on top of doing preventative maintenance on the life-saving equipment. Where it connects to IT didn't happen until after I got picked up with a job, which was a cryptologic technician maintenance, which is where I learned a lot of my technical craft and started honing in on the IT side of the house, where it was learning how anything with a computer operates. Through that school, we learned everything from electronic repair all the way to networking to satellite communications. So we're sitting there learning the network admin, we're learning the systems administration all in our schooling, but that's nothing until you hit the fleet. When you hit the fleet, that's when the ground gets really hot and you start running with what you learn and then learn training only goes so far. So that's where that real world experience and working at a tier two, tier three help desk out in Japan so much helped me get ready to go out and into the service now realm because the platform I was using is a legacy platform. I don't want to name drop it, but it was a legacy platform that commonly gets integrated <laughs> today. Now these commands are starting to switch over and get the picture of how ServiceNow isn't just for the commercial space, but also the federal space. So the fact that ServiceNow is breaching that line, making the cross, starting to enhance government services, we're starting to see the transition for veterans be a lot smoother into these ServiceNow roles specifically, because we know the landscape, we know the politics, and a lot of times we know the key players too. You know, I'm really interested in hearing Brian's take on this as well. I, you know, he's got 
months of experience, but I think it's it's interesting to get the combined. Like, how often do you get somebody with twenty years experience transition to something where they have months of experience? I'm just really anxious to hear what he's got to say on it too. Of course, for me, it's just it's exciting. I've been doing a lot of the same stuff for 20 plus years and ServiceNow came along for me six months ago. I didn't know anything about it. There was a post on on Facebook uh, job posting and that kind of piqued my interest. And then Tracy Miller from ServiceNow uh, posted on LinkedIn about a pilot program that she was starting up for the next gen program to train active duty members on the ServiceNow platform. So that transition has been easy for most of us, or actually all of us, the, uh, the five of us in that cohort. Because in the Navy, I spent my first two years in school before I even touched any kind of equipment. And as we, uh, Sam kind of alluded to before, you don't really get your knowledge or your experience until you hit the fleet. So yeah, I was in school for two years learning about electronics, working on different communication radar systems. But it wasn't until I actually got in the seat doing the job that I really started to learn what was going on. So contrast that with me with the ServiceNow environment. Like how how quickly or how long did it take you before you actually had your hands in an instance? So we started off. We all had to sign up, get our PDIs. So we're just going through the basic ServiceNow fundamentals, ServiceNow platform implementation. And we went through a series of courses and Tracy and and John Parks would give us workshops that we'd have to build in our own PDI to give us that experience. And then we went and worked with GlideFast and Faircode for some on-the-job training with Alex Darby over there. And again, he did a lot of the same stuff. He acted like a customer and we built uh, requirements, his requirements, in our PDIs. So that's so definitely a, a bigger difference than the, from the military side, uh, side from where you spent two years learning about everything and then finally kind of get dropped in into the situation where you kind of got your hands dirty at the very beginning. That's, that's, that's interesting. So what about any kind of problem solving techniques or any kind of uh, day in the life kind of experience that you have from the military? Does any of that relate to how you've internalized or envisioned service now or have has any of that helped you um, get through the, the training any easier or, or have a unique viewpoint on it? And that one, I, I probably will ask both uh, you and Sam. <laughs> so, Brian, sure. if you want to go first. Though. Yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> uh, the, the troubleshooting. So my job revolved around troubleshooting in the Navy. I didn't operate equipment. All I did was maintain it. We would have operators call up and say, my keyboard doesn't work. And come to find out, they just spilled their Coke on their keyboard. So it doesn't work, <laughs> but we would have major, major system outages. I remember one time being in the Gulf and we lost all our exterior voice communications. And I tell you, that's a high stress environment when all of that goes down at once. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and so, yeah, we just, there was myself and a bunch of my technicians. We just pulled our heads together and, and figured it out. And that still works with service. Now that's one of the things I love about service now is the community. No one holds on to the information themselves. They share it with everyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's one of the things that actually I picked up on very early in my service now career too, right? The wiki. And so Duke and I talk, uh, refer to, to the wiki uh, a lot, right? Like right now, you know, you probably understand docs, the docs reference more than the wiki. But, you know, back in the day, the wiki was the personification of, right, of everyone sharing that knowledge and having that that community where you can kind of just go and, and the community was around too and, and you know and, and you just had knowledge everywhere and you had a, this sense of community sharing everywhere and it, it was just i don't know it, it's really addicting as a new person who's actually joining the service now realm having folks out there ready and willing to help so that was definitely awesome hey sam what about you can you tell us how your military career might have impacted how you've 
picked up ServiceNow and learned ServiceNow and any kind of you know experience that you could bring to bear or visualize to the platform? Absolutely. And you brought up one of the things that I wanted to bring up with my troubleshooting is a lot of times when we had network outages, I worked at a tier two help desk, so nobody called me unless it was the tier one person saying, yo, network's out, go fix it. So maintenance was always my name of the game and it was never called when it was a situation just to do something before a problem. But anytime we discovered a problem, we created an internal wiki for our entire command that was worldwide. So that way we could share what was going around worldwide and common troubleshooting steps. So when I came into the ServiceNow community back in 2017, we were in that transition from the wiki to the doc site where there was both. And sometimes you had to go to the wiki, sometimes you had to go to the doc site. So navigating to find information for me was so similar to the Navy. And that's why I excelled when I was at Western Southern Life Insurance Group. I excelled because I was able to go to the wiki and find the answer just like I did in the Navy. So that's where it was one of those things where the ServiceNow community has the same community that we experience in the military that it makes it so much easier for us to navigate. Nice. I would have never thought, right, like the ServiceNow wiki and community could be compared to like internal military operations. So that's pretty cool. So I have a question. I see a lot of staffing agencies or just a lot of posts on LinkedIn that kind of look like a little bit of a virtue signal, like help veterans this, help veterans that. And sometimes it feels a little bit like people think veterans are a charity case, but I've always had such crazy, awesome experiences with the veterans I've worked with just because of unique perspectives that they bring and ways of working. And I wonder if either of you could describe what veterans bring to the ServiceNow space from a position of strength, not as a position of, oh, why should you go out and look for veterans to help veterans out? Why could you help yourself out by considering veterans for your ServiceNow positions? So for me, some of the basic things that we were taught in the military, show up on time in the right uniform and do your job. That's kind of the foundation that we have. They teach you that in basic training. That also applies in the civilian world. If people just show up on time, I mean, we're even told, you know, five minutes early, you know, I showed up five minutes early for this podcast and there was nobody here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it burns, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, just doing your job in, in most of the veterans, that's what we want to do. We want to be successful. We're taught to promote it's up or out. So that's what we want to do in the civilian world as well is move up you know, be successful, help other people be successful. And I I like that up or out, right? I think that is uh, so many people could benefit from that kind of mindset, right? Is that you you either got to be out, you got to be constantly growing and constantly attaining, you know, more, or you need to get it going and figure out something you're better at, right? Or or that you like more or, or whatever, right? You know, up or out. I like that. I'm going to internalize that. I wasn't expecting that, but that was an awesome answer. Sam, what do you got for us? So Brian covered a lot of it. So the other aspect is we're used to working with very low budgets and getting the job done. So it's not Mm -hmm. like you're going to point to something and be like, go fix that. And I'm going to stop when I can't fix it. When I hit that point of I can't fix it, I'm still going to find a way. And that's something that we're not taught a failure route. We're just taught of come up with another solution, find another solution that will work, that will accomplish the same job, even if it's a little bit different. 
So that's one of those things that I always say is we're one of those people where when you have a problem, we're not stopping until it's fixed. We're very dedicated and loyal. And then to expand a little bit in our transition classes, we're taught a lot about personal branding. So Duke, you brought up about how vocal I am on LinkedIn. I learned that in TGPS, which is our transition class. So it talked about the importance of networking and building a network. It wasn't just important for me to build that network for myself on my transition out, but now I've built that network to the point where I can help others who are in the transition process smoothly slide into some of these areas. And when you bring a veteran in, you're now getting access to their whole talent pool, the network that they just networked with. So when you have recruiting aspects and stuff like that that pop up, we've been networking with everybody and we're probably talking about how much we love where we're at just because we know the impact of having that post on LinkedIn, having the engagements with other people within our networks and not just on the LinkedIn side, the now community as well. We're some of the best champions. One of the first champion that I found in the now community was Travis Tolson. He's a Marine Corps veteran. A veteran leading that community back in the day in 2017, where anytime I had a problem, the one name I always saw was Travis. He was sharing his knowledge so much that every time I ran into a problem, I just Googled where he worked and I just was like, (laughs) "Uh, that's where I need to go. (laughs) Well, this is the thing I I think a lot of, I mean, I don't pretend to steal the glory of the uniform, right? I never wore the uniform, you know, but I was raised by an infantryman and a captain of men, if you will. And I think this is one thing that the private sector just doesn't get is that it's pivotal to train leadership in the service. Like who's going to train up the next batch? So you got to make this batch the leaders for the next batch. And it's baked into the system. And I mean, Corey, name a place. Like I I go back and I'm just, has anybody ever trained me to be a leader? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's funny uh, because Sam was talking and he mentioned how one of the things that he learned in the service was that there was no such thing as quit, right? It's going to keep going for that solution until he finds it. There's no such thing as stopping. You know, my high school, the mission statement ended with, you know, we'll find a way or make one. Right. So mm. I, I related a lot to that. So I, I, I guess, Duke, from my perspective, my high school taught me how to be a leader through that mission statement, through the guy who actually kept it from closing when the Pope cut off the money, who, who raised generations of black men and women, you know, in the middle of the Chicago West Side. Right. Like so that that's kind of where a lot of that comes, where I get a lot of that, you know, where I've used or, or taken into a lot of that leadership. But I agree. It is vanishingly small. In places here in America where folks are training leadership from the ground up. So there you go. I'm glad those questions came to a point I was hoping to make on this show. It's don't go out there and say, oh, let's help a veteran. Like, help yourself. (laughs) Help yourself. Get a veteran to help yourself, not to help them. The trainer relief mentality is kind of what we're talking about. And it got me just thinking on the fly right there. That's perfect for client engagements because all that documentation you have to hand over to a client when you're done. We've been built in to do that. That's literally what we do with the train your relief mentality. And I didn't even think about that until you just brought that up. Like, that's incredible. Dive a little bit more into that train your relief, how that kind of works in the military. I know Duke kind of just hinted on it, but it seems like, it, you know, there's, there's another thread there. Oh, absolutely. So when I was out in Japan and I was working in that help desk role, I was in a team of seven people total. So by the time somebody got there, somebody was offboarding. Somebody else was getting ready to change their command or get out of service. 
So when you I got there, the person that was I was relieving, his name was CTM2 Williamson. He started teaching me everything he knew about networking because he knew when he left, there was nobody to do that job. And he did not want to get called because we knew he was staying in Japan. We knew he was going <laughs> to Tokyo University and we knew where he was going to be living. So he definitely did not want to hear from us ever again. So he made sure that he gave us not only the material for us to learn how to do computer networking, he ensured that we knew how to do the job to the point where we would never need to call him again and provided all the documentation from everything that he did to me. So that way, if I ran to an issue, I could review all that documentation, go back and fix the problem. And when I left CTM SN Sanvin, He's out in Hawaii right now. He is the one that I started training. I started training him and I started training IT2 George Page, both of which are out in the, well, George is out in the civilian sector out in Massachusetts. Eric Sanvin is out there in Hawaii stationed and loving life. Definitely jealous of him. It's <laughs> You train your relief, you stay in contact with them, just like any other engagement we're doing in the ServiceNow space. I still talk to the first team I worked with in ServiceNow as a consultant, and they still talk to me about problems they have, and they still double check, and they trust me. And that's one of those things in this community. We just don't ghost when we're done with the project. We want to stay in contact. Like, that's my baby I worked on over there. Let me know it's still good. Corey, I'm, I'm going to cry, man. I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys, I mean, you guys have... Go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like, if you're an employer right now listening to this, why isn't half your staff veterans, right? Like, That's right. I, I mean, you know, you want these guys who are going to be training up your team, you know, for the eventual replacements as, as folks move through, because everyone moves through. You either it's up or out, right? So someone's moving up or someone's moving out. And if you're training the folks who are going to come in and backfill, right, like, which is inbred in this culture, well, even come on. Not, like not even just at, at the company for the company in the company, but like think of all the partners out there. And what's the one thing I can like every yes. time documentation comes up, right? Yes. That, that fucking just, oh, <laughs> that one partner that just pounded their chest. This is the most custom ITBM thing we've ever deployed. Not one lick of documentation. And it's just like the devastation that they left when they had this hyper complex thing that was completely inoperable because nobody knew how it was built and nobody knew how to run it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a, a knowledge sharing culture, right? Building a knowledge sharing culture is the holy grail. Let's be real, right? In, in this industry that we're in, the service now industry, turnover is pretty high because demand is through the roof. And so mm -hmm. people aren't staying, aren't, they aren't sticking around a long time. So if you build a culture where, where knowledge is shared freely amongst the folks that you have on staff, when some of those folks move up and out, uh, you know, you still have people behind who have that ability to pick up where, where they left off. So, yeah, I mean, this is that's amazing. All right, cool. So uh, a lot of the things I hear Sam talk about and, and Brian actually gone through the programs is this a next gen program and the DOD skill bridge. So could you guys tell us a little bit about what that's all about? Absolutely. So I'll speak a little bit on DoD SkillBridge real quick. It is one of the best programs in existence for small businesses that is underutilized. It's a program from the Department of Defense that allows active duty military in their last 180 days of active duty service to be an intern or apprentice at a private company. I'm happy to say that Faircode was one of the first ServiceNow partners who pursued this. 
it's one of the reasons why we see a lot of these partners starting to take advantage of this program because you train up a veteran, you get them started on some of these commercial projects where they can start getting these experiences and you can immediately have a cleared service now developer the day they get out of active duty service. And a lot of the people on the federal side, that sounds super incentivizing. And it's one of those things where the ServiceNow Next Gen program saw the demand and saw the landscape, saw that big hole of so much demand for the work, but not enough people to do it, that they started their SkillBridge program too. So their SkillBridge program is looped into their ServiceNow Next Generation program. Next Gen is to train those next generation of ServiceNow developers and ServiceNow professionals into our ecosystem. Well, yes, it's great if everybody has the experience. We have to start recognizing that the junior development shortage is a huge problem in our sector that's going to keep that retention problem there. If we start investing in these junior developers and start participating in programs like ServiceNow NextGen, we're going to start seeing our entire community flourish, not just with new junior developers, but we're going to start seeing that collaboration amongst people sharing information. That is one of the things I can't wait to see the next gen program go even further with. Because right now we're matching what everybody else is doing in industry standard with training. One of the things that I have yet to see is I see employment statistics being tracked with every veteran training program out there. But ServiceNow has this huge opportunity if they wanted to, to use a ServiceNow instance to not only workflow work, but they could workflow the entire transition process out of the military to the point where we can start seeing that military transition operate just as smoothly as Brian for every single veteran in that community. They have this opportunity, and I'm excited to see where it goes. That sounds like a glove throwdown, man. (laughs) (laughs) We have to get some traction here. It's one of those things (laughs) where I see VetForce, which is the Salesforce equivalent, training veterans. I see AWS having their training academy and MSSA moving to this remote academy. One of the things that I do is I place veterans who go through some of these academies that are promised jobs at the end and are told they don't exist into those roles. And one of those things is it's not that hard when you don't have a placement fee. Now, ServiceNow has the ability to automate the recruitment process for these next-gen professionals through the ServiceNow ecosystem and through utilization of partners like Glidefast and Ferrico, where Brian was able to intern with this next-gen program to get these guys the practical experience and then also use that practical experience to start placing them in our ecosystem with either our partners or our end clients. Because that's the other shortage that nobody really talks about is the end clients needing ServiceNow developers and how this next-gen force could be that solution. Yeah, totally agree. So, Brian, you actually went through the next-gen program, right? That is correct, yes. Why don't you tell us what that experience was like? In a nutshell, it was life-changing. A 16-week program, like I said, I had no experience with ServiceNow prior to starting that. And so we all started from zero and just started going through the basics fundamentals, different implementations, working with Glidefast and Faircode. We spoke with Crossfuse, Allison Holt. I think she's got a new last name now, but just so many people. And it wasn't just ServiceNow skills that we gained. There were also some classes and training on transition skills, how to interview, how to write your resume, and just how to deal with uh, this whole transition. So definitely life-changing for me. And I'm so excited to get into the ServiceNow ecosystem. 
so what part of the, the ecosystem um, it, it makes you the most exciting? Kind of shifting gears a little bit, diving a little bit more into the service downside of this. Like what part of the product excites you the most? The potential for unlimited growth. My uh, man. No, yeah. <laughs> I Sorry. mean, it's just, it's incredible. They gave us a list of jobs, you know, part of the familiarization with, with ServiceNow, tech consultant, developer, architect. Since I was a recruiter and I did sales before the, the Navy, the solution consultant role kind of interests me the most. But I want to go wherever it feels natural. And with ServiceNow, it sounds cheesy, but I feel like this is a good fit for me. And it's a good fit for a lot of other people. This group, this next-gen cohort that we did, we are all just so excited about this program and where it's going to take us. Yeah, you know, that that writing your own ticket part of it, right, which is what I took away from that, that was what drew me to the... Um, I say the open market and service now, right? Like I've like the, the the platform, you know, back in the day when I when I got involved with it, it was just this this green field of unlimited opportunity from not only a technical standpoint, but then as I got to know more about the platform and saw, see more about the ecosystem, I also then saw it as this green field of opportunity for my career in terms of being able to do whatever it is out here that you want to do because so many people have this thing, not enough people exist who can actually service it. And that lack of talent exists at every level in the ServiceNow ecosystem. So yeah, I totally agree and sympathize with you on that. You know, you can you can make this whatever you want it to be. And you know, I'm a ServiceNow fanboy. I can go on and on. <laughs> I really it's, feel like that's everybody in our space though. Everyone yeah, I've agree. met has always been the biggest fanboy or fangirl or fandom of ServiceNow. Like the moment I saw the platform and I was introduced at my interview with Western Southern, I was like, I love this. And that's when I started posting things like, I could automate the request cycle for user accounts on government networks. Right. And I started looking like, oh man, I could have made my job so much easier in the military. <laughs> and that's where it was like, that's what drew me to the platform. So I love that that kind of drew you in, Brian, because I know for you, at least for me, I saw I can get rid of blue paper route or blue folder routing. Oh, that's the worst. And that blue was the routing. It was like a, a individual. It's like the old mailroom clerk that has to run around getting signatures and taking a letter from one desk to another. That uh, we call that blue folder routing because typically you have to use a blue folder in the Navy for those routing requests. And you have to run this piece of paper, stapled to a folder to get signatures for some sort of permission to do something. And as you're gotcha. running that folder around, it always gets lost. <sighs> and service now makes it to where that blue folder can't get lost. And you know, right, whose desk it's at. Yeah, sneaker net. That's what we call it in corporate America, sneaker net. <laughs> Ain't that the truth, yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, um, what do people have wrong about veterans in the ServiceNow space? Any misconceptions that are out there or tropes or memes that you guys would just wish would just go away? I think the one that I would love to see is you don't possess the experience. Without this SkillBridge program that Brian would participated in and without NextGen, if I would have worked with him individually, that's what he would have heard from every ServiceNow partner. But yet Brian is one of the smartest people through that program and he does contain the knowledge. While yes, he might lack the experience, you all just learned today how much he can provide outside of the experience requirement you have. So one of the things that I ask is to stop using automation for military resumes. If you have an automated system that reads the resume, 
put in a manual intervention flag if the words Navy, Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, Space Force, National Guard, or Reserves pop in that resume. Because if you manually review that and you give them a call and you give them a shot, you won't have somebody like me who went through 958 applications when they got out and only had three responses. Yet every single one of those people that I have told me that I didn't possess the experience in some shape or form, I have worked with them now, but at a much higher rate. But if they would have <laughs> the they could have had me for a lot cheaper. That's one of those things where you sleep on the military talent, you're going to pay for it in the end when they come back as a consultant. Nothing's going to teach you like this will teach you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my, my normal my normal rate is X, but for you, it's X plus five. Uh, <laughs> times five. <laughs> Do a 45-degree ro- angle rotate on that plus sign, buddy. <laughs> It's one of those things that it just, one of the people that declined me, I was applying for a tier one help desk job, went in for the interview and they told me I would be bored and that I needed to apply for tier two. I applied for tier two the next week. And then they called me and said, you really need to be applying for the tier one position to get experience. (sighs) Now, I was thankful that those HR people actually communicated with me. Do you know what most HR people do? Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. They're afraid of some sort of discrimination lawsuit. They're afraid of something that they might say something wrong that can be used against them. If you have a veteran who applies, at least give them the courtesy to say, hey, we went in another direction. If not, go, hey, I was looking at your resume. Maybe I can help you with your resume. So that way, the next job you apply for, you can stand a better chance to get in the door. Wouldn't the world just be so much better if this happened like all the time it is insane to me just listening to this right like you know one i mean it's a great suggestion turn off that freaking auto scan bs and have somebody manually review the resume you know, get get so get them on the phone to have a conversation right and, and then even if the company goes in a, in a different direction get them on the phone again or send an email say hey this is why and this is what you can do in, in, in order to make your, opportun- your your chances better in the future, right? Let's help each other here. I don't understand this whole thing, how we got to this place where everything, and, 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 you know, and as I say that, I think about all the workflows that I've automated, but you know, how we got to this place where people no longer matter. And it, it's really a bad place for, for all of us you know, in, 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 this, in this world where computers are deciding that you know, you don't fit the bill without even being able to plead your case to somebody who probably doesn't even know whether or not you have the appropriate experience to start with. I mean, Neighbors, this is yeah. the, the whole process is just is just horrible. It's one of those things where we started automating things back in the early 2000s. And we were just starting because we started to learn about some of these automations that we could do. And we just did it. We never stopped to ask what happens if we remove the human element in some of these processes. So that's right. one of those things where when we start having situations where clients don't want to go to best practice, what is best practice for human resources and recruiting right now? And is that conductive in this environment, especially in a competitive environment where people are staying at home and not working and there's a demand yeah. for jobs? And a lot of it yeah. has to do with that recruitment cycle is extremely stressful. You get ghosted. You feel like you're unheard. You feel like you're unworthy. So you just give up. It's one of those elements that when we talk about unemployment, we don't look at the abuse cycle in the recruitment process. How many of both of us, all of us here, 
Brian probably had it too, where you got, hey, LinkedIn member, I have this in-demand job for you <laughs> at this company, and the brackets are still there. Like, we have to have some serious conversations around recruitment tactics because the automation of recruitment, yes, it's a numbers game in most of their opinions, but every recruiter that I worked with, Shelly Goldman is who got me in over here at Glidefast Consulting. She did not reach out with an automated message. She said, Sam, do you have a minute so we can talk? I see you're a Navy veteran. I see you're in the ServiceNow space. I liked your post about the CMDB. I would really love to get some time to talk to you. That woman showed me so much compassion, empathy, read my post, knew who I was, that she strategically plucked me out. You know, all the recruiters I know that have made it, like good, fruitful careers out of it, don't do the numbers game. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like that. The, the ones that are eking by and have to get offshored because nobody else will work for that little money are, are the numbers game, folks. It's just, I don't understand it. I don't know how people think they're going to get the quality resources they hope for when you got this like bottom of the barrel tactic going on. And I think but that's, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, I love working over yeah, here but... at Glidefast because we don't, most of our stuff is internal referrals. Mm-hmm. That's one of the names of the game is network. Because if you reach out to me and you tell me, hey, I've been looking at Glidefast for a while. I see your post on LinkedIn. Is there any way you can talk to somebody to get me in the door? Almost every single time if you've been engaging with me, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get you into our company. Right. And I'm not a recruiter. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sam, have we met yet? <laughs> yes, Brian. We are going to have some conversations probably this afternoon. Uh, we do have some openings here on the cleared side over at Ferrico that I wanted to talk to you about, but I wanted you to hop on here before we had those conversations. Oh, look at this, man. Matchmaking. <laughs> Wait, should we be getting paid for this? <laughs> All right, folks, this has been the Veterans in Service Now episode. I'd love to thank our special guests, Sam and Brian. Their LinkedIn profiles will be in the description below. Be sure to check that out. Also, with this whole Veterans in Service Now thing, people, help yourselves, okay? You're not helping the veterans. Help yourselves to what the veterans can offer. Get yourself connected with Sam and Brian, and they can connect you with the talent you need. Also, check out the Government Skill Bridge program. See if you can connect to that and, and get some of this talent into your company. I have been your host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey C.J. Wesley. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, all. <laughs>